Welcome to episode 660 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, here, team, welcome along to episode 660 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan. Winter's coming. We've both got toasty tops on tonight. Toasty, this morning, toasty, toasty tops. Yep. Yeah, top. winter's coming. Not happy about it, but that's okay. Oh, you can't complain. We've had a bloody good summer. We have. Just and we've had a month of autumn. Yeah. And we, and we haven't really felt autumn yet, have we? Yeah. Anyway. You Northern Hemisphere athlete, <laughs> anyway. summer's on its way. Summer's, see, always look on the bright side, John. Oh, I Talk is proudly brought to you by Extreme Endurance, Galactic Buffer, and our patrons. Let's name a few, Jumbo. Scott the Growler Woolsey. We've got Brandon the Teacher, Schoolie. And Thomas is going long. <laughs> nice. We are pretty damn sharp. We are, Jumbo. Again, this week's show, we've got, uh, got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. We've got a great interview with the legend that is Scott Molina talking about the. Gods of the eighties, the gods of the eighties, and then uh, at the end of the show, oh, then we've got what else have we got here, John? We've got some. Quick, oh, we're not doing coaches' corner. We've got the winger of the week questions and answers at the end of the show. Talk for a second, John. I just want to make sure I got your volumes right. My volume will be fantastic, Bevan. No, keep talking. Um, so yeah, this is great. We're on on, the, no, on no, the fly, no, no, equalising. No, no. Yeah, I needed to because you were too quiet, so I needed to kind of get you right. So there you go. Okay, news, John. Let's talk about it. not much racing is happening. Last weekend, Last weekend, coming up this weekend. But before we do, just quickly, Tim Heming sent through, and uh, just about the, the drugs in Hakona, we thought maybe last so, year, on Hawaii, and so, we thought so maybe... So last year, we, last week, we talked about a blood doping case, uh, I think it was either in Austria or Germany, and there was an implication that there was, it was more around a sort of Nordic sports, and there was one case that was going to be in Hawaii. And we kind of put two and two together. And I think a lot of people did thinking the Hawaii Ironman. But apparently it is something to do with the Honolulu Marathon. So that is good news that we hopefully haven't got any Ironman athletes implicated in this drugs story. And then Tim actually wrote, he did an interview with Patrick Langer about um, the drugs process, basically. It's it's titled, uh, Patrick Langer Calls for Changes to Drug Testing Procedures. Um, it's a really good article, actually, because Patrick Langer is kind of just... He just says it's, it's kind of really tough work being a pro and what you have to go through to prove your innocence. Mm. Um, and, you know, he kind of talks about how there's just no privacy, you know, and just all this kind of procedure that actually it's quite an invasion on your life. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a frustrating thing when you are a clean athlete. Um, and so he's just kind of, and Tim's done this really good article about it. So I'll put it in the show notes for this because it's actually a really good read. And Patrick does bring up some interesting points. And it's a hard one because basically everyone gets treated like a criminal to prove you're innocent, even when you're innocent. Mm. Yeah, it's a hard system, isn't it? Yeah. It is indeed. Yeah, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So, John, we're coming up this weekend. We've got the Ironman South Africa Regional Championships happening. Pretty good field. Yep. So last year, Kyle Buckingham took out the race in 8.13, ahead of Josh Amberger and Morris Clavel. Uh, on the female side, we had Lucy uh, Charles taking it out in 8.56, ahead of Susie Cheatham and Lindsay Corbin. And, yeah, as Bevan said, we've got, you know... the, the 
championship races, regional championships, have more prize money. Uh, this one's got $150,000 US paying 10 deep. Also has more uh, Kona slots available for the pros and for age groupers. So at this race there is two uh, automatic slots for both males and females and then two floating slots that are distributed on a pro rata basis. So um, now when we look at the female field, they've only got 11 athletes, so you're going to assume they're going to go both to men this time? You would you would think so. Because so the men has a yeah, 35. The strength of the women's field is a 20% of a Kona, a Kona quality, and based off the numbers, Lucy Charles Barclay, as she is now... Oh, uh, okay got her double barrel name surname is expected to come in 853 that's a weapon of a time i wonder if she's had any really crappy ironmans i don't think so she's always been there or thereabouts mm. i know she got beaten and wrote uh last year didn't she yes she did it was a really close finish it wrote uh and she's always been you know seems to be in the podium i don't recall her detonating at any stage which is you know a real credit to her. So she's expected to come in 8.53. Angela Neath, who was a fantastic performer at the tail end of last season, uh, came home and uh, is expected in 9.14, and Maureen Half in 9.16. So of the female qualifiers, though, this is what you've always got to factor in now, is whilst there is two slots and maybe uh, another, you've already, it will roll down because you've got your automatic qualifiers. So Lucy Charles qualified, Maureen Half is qualified. So outside of that... You know, I think it's a bit of a uh, bit of an open field. You know, a really good opportunity for Angela Neath to get her qualification. Um, the other females are predicted to come in quite a bit behind. So, uh, yeah, the, yeah, the female field outside the top three isn't hugely strong, is it? No, it's uh, it's not. It's, you know, so Angela Neath nine fourteen, and then. Uh, down to sort of seventh place, uh, Anna Watkinson from South Africa, 9.37. So, Jeez, when you listen to the top yeah. men, you've got Bart Arnott, Nils from Hull, Ben Hoffman, Dave McNamane, um, James Kanama, Kanamana, uh, we've got Patrick Nelson, Tim Dom, and Michael Weiss. What a field. Yeah, and Andreas Dreitz, Tim Verkel, um, Kyle Buckingham, who's who's ranked 11th on Torsten's ratings, all the way down there. Defending champ. Uh, defending champion, as is Maurice Clavel, one place behind him. Um, but yeah, you scroll all the way down to like the 19th ranked athlete is Matt Trotman from South Africa, uh, former winner of this race. So, and, but he's already kind of qualified, which is which is great for him. Josh Amberger. Um Reese Barclay. It'll be interesting to see how he goes. That's. Um, uh, Lucy Charles's husband. Uh, I think he's only done one race. I think it was last year, uh, and went pretty well there. Don't expect him necessarily to be a contender for the win, but it will be interesting to What's see his how he goes. Uh, he is a very good swimmer. Um, as you know, Torsten's ratings here have him going uh, 49 minutes swim, 4:42 on the bike, and 3:02 run. So probably hasn't quite cracked the the running side of things in terms of you know being a 2:40 sort of runner. So yeah, it should be. You know, there's a lot of different dynamics going on here and you know based off Torsten's times should be pretty close racing but Arnott's you know big year for him to see if he can back up you know the last couple of awesome years where he went one wrote and then obviously in the podium in uh in Kona and then David McNamee you know time for him to see if he can prove that he is uh you know, a legitimate, really, really big hitter. We've seen what he's done in Kona, which is amazing. Mm. But outside of that, you know, time to see if he can actually go out there and win big races and and become one of the real dominant players. So, has he won an Ironman? I, I, off the top of my head, I don't think so. And today, I'm on my 
What, what's iPad. the website I need to go to? Uh, OBS Try. I think it's O B S T R I. So he, uh, he certainly won some seventy point threes, I think. But uh, you know, he typically hasn't with the old system. He hasn't had to go and win Ironmans because he uh, has had podiums in Kona, so automatic qualification for the for the following year. It'd be really interesting. So, here's an interesting question. Uh, oh, oops, sorry, it's copy James. James, not him. Um, the the highest ranking Kona athlete who's never won an Ironman. Highest ranking. highest placing. So like he's got he got third mm-hmm. in Kona. Has there ever been a higher who's done be, like, so done really well in Kona? You yeah. could have even won Kona, but not won an Ironman outside of Kona. Or you know, get what I mean? Like, yep, totally. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. Torsten, there you yeah. go. Another job for you. Yeah, here we go. Um, and the other one, I'm really quite interested to see how he goes here is, is Michael Weiss. You know, he has been one of the form 70.3 athletes, had a good Kona last year uh, and, and won, you know, some really, really good races over iron distance. But here he's up against a really quality field. And so um, it's always intriguing to think about guys like him. Um, yeah, we've had lots of people like him in the past who have uh, been really dominant but then can't quite make that bridge to, to Kona. And we almost, I almost thought at one stage, you know, Lionel Sanders might be that guy as well. Um, having a non-swimmer, actually, whether they can actually make it in Kona. And, and Sanders obviously got very, very close. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch Michael Weiss. He did win Ironman UK in 2015. Oh, He's had quite a few 70.3 wins. Um, but, yeah, he did win Ironman UK in 2015. So there you go. We've also got coming up this weekend uh, the 70.3 in Oceanside. Um, the females' field is looking amazing, a massive, you know, 50 men on the, the, the men's side as well. But here we've got Daniela Reef versus Holly Lawrence versus Heather Jackson and Sarah True. So that is, you know, four or five of the biggest hitters in the sport going head to head so I know we probably expect Daniela Reef to crush it but uh, you know that's like a just it's just about a world championship standard field mm-hmm. uh, along with a, a bunch of other very very strong females Ali Salthouse uh, Paula Finlay former ITU star uh, and a bunch of others so excited to see how that sort of pans out on the men's side disappointment that we're not going to see Lionel Sanders versus Jan Fredinos. Jan Fredinos pulled out of that race. Uh, doesn't sound like he's injured, just sounds like he's you know, probably just not quite ready. There wasn't any really strong indications. Still a really good field. Um, and but again, really exciting to see what Lionel Sanders can do. He's getting massive following now. You know, he's doing all these YouTube clips. I've watched just one or two of them, but he's just got a massive cult following. And the end of last year by his high standards, was rubbish. Yeah. Uh, so can he pick the pieces up and get back to that same standard? Because he was close to winning Kona. So you think 70.3 would be able to do, wouldn't you? Well, you'd think so, but this is, this is still some bloody good athletes here. You know, you've got uh, Tim Reid, former world champion. Yep. Uh, you've got Sam Appleton. You've got Ben Knute, uh, and he can you know, light it up. Rudy Wild. Cam Brown's down to race. Uh, so it's a, it's a good, strong field. But uh, yeah, I'm Adam Bowden. He's been a, a great seventy point three athlete of late. So yeah, I'm just intrigued to see how he goes and whether he can have that season long domination like he sort of had the the previous couple of years. But then obviously last year didn't pan out in Kona. But yeah, interesting time for him because it was um, the end of his year last year was uh, intriguing, Bevan. Yeah, it really was, and he put a lot of pressure on himself, and unfortunately didn't deliver. Um, and he, he was first to front up to that, and so 
the old what if starts to come in the game a little bit now, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, what if? Okay, John, so we've got ITU update, but you don't want to talk about it. Well, I haven't. The thing is, we had a World Cup race here, which is. You're not like watching the news that you don't get to see the news. <laughs> <laughs> you often do this. I'm not going to talk about it. Yeah, so we um, we had a World Cup race here. The, the, the interesting factor of that was uh, Javier Gomez was back racing, short course. Okay. And I have seen the top three results, but I haven't seen the race, and I, I'm intentionally saving that for tomorrow for my little wind trainer crew. Uh, so but what he, were the didn't, he didn't get in the top three, and. An Australian won it. Luke People Villain. don't care. It's a World Cup race. You can say uh, it's, it, John. It's massively important. People don't care. And on the female side, uh, see, I'm trying not even to remember. Uh, it, it was Olmo, Os- Osmo, a female I'm not particularly familiar with from Italy. And who was the who won it? Who won the men's? Uh, I got a young fella, Luke Willem or William. Okay, good stuff. But Gomez was not in the top three. Okay, where would we expect him to be right now? Well, this is a sprint distance race, um, but I still would have expected him to be... Up there. Up, up there. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know because I haven't watched it and I don't want to see the results. Well, yep, yep, but you did do your news job there. Well done, I'm proud Thank of you. you. I know you don't like giving people the news on a show that's about the news. Um, John, <laughs> this week's discussion. I just, I've just gone onto our Facebook page and, and you know how you have all pictures and videos listed and stuff before you actually get down to Yeah, well, you do when you own the page. Uh, <laughs> there's a picture of the Philinator who was out there wearing an IM Talk uh, race suit at the weekend nice. uh, at the Sea to Sky Challenge. And the video picture of him is uh, mounting his bike at the, the triathlon festival that I run out in Pegasus. And he's running and mounting his bike and it's uh, near Bullbuster. Oh, really? <laughs> he takes off and he's getting a chair and doing the high fives in the air because he, he landed his <laughs> mount anyhow our discussion last week was around what's the best advice or exercises that you've been given by a medical practitioner that you've actually stuck with mm. so i'll start with josh crabble he's got red wine it's good for the heart kylie cox you can't go wrong getting strong and andrew meekins apparently said that okay good old uh kyle uh leibenberger Beger? how do you reckon that one is yeah you're, good. You're better at those names. I'm sure you got it 100% right, Bevan. Yeah, I have an Achilles tendonitis and have been doing eccentric calf exercises for years, multiple times a week. They do help. Yep, I give that advice to a lot of people. We've got two, oops, we've got two consecutive posts here. Uh, one from Arnov, Arnov Sulikov, never stretch. And then the next one from Ben Cobra, uh, stretching and foam rolling. <laughs> It's like looking for a, you know, a, a research project or a, you know, studies done. You'll find just as many studies that show that stretching is good for you as you'll find that it's not you good stretch? for you. Uh, I, I, I do, and I should do more because I find it extremely beneficial. But uh, I don't. I, yeah. I do after classes. Hmm. Oh, no, I do. No, after a run, I'll go for a stretch. In, a, in the class, do you have a stretch? But it's not like I'm really focused on stretching when I'm doing mm-hmm. it, but I, I suppose you do a light basic stretch um, Richard Swan's got don't ride into a parked car at 35 kilometres an hour that's great advice Richard Palmer said uh, campfire squats nice <laughs> okay Mark Frankie Brooks has got when I was having issues with my knees a specialist went to me how many times a week are you at the gym lifting heavy weights I said uh, none uh, best to get to the gym and lift some weights then not never had a bad knee since I do agree strength team you got to do your strength work Daniel Frost said the Superman for core stability. It is one good exercise. Nice work. Um, what else we got here, John? I got um, good old uh, Craig Brighthouse. I do two weeks in. Oh, so I do it for two weeks or until the pain stops, just like everybody else that's the advice, doing the advice. Uh, Ailey Payne, three monthly routine blood tests pick up the issues before they escalate. Good old Adrian Brown's got a good one here. Prevention is better than cure. 
Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. That's pretty much covered covered it all. <coughs> so there's quite a bit there in terms of, excuse me, Bevan, you carry on. Uh, in terms of um, people needing to do strength. Oh, I was just about to sneeze. So, yeah, quite a, quite a bit there around calf strengthening, as I mentioned previously. Even uh, just strengthening the body. Yeah, and, and but sometimes making it, you know, some functional strength where you can actually do it out on the, the road rather than necessarily going to the gym. Uh, so in terms of the things for me, and, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, if there was one exercise that I've been told that I have actually done and keep doing, it is the, uh, uh, you know, calf raises to maximum height. So that is probably the one exercise for me that I've found to be most beneficial complemented by all the other stuff that I do but if I had to pick one that was it that I actually do to me it's that prevention is better than cure attitude you know what I mean like I'm really good at listening to my body and responding like Mm -hmm. you know we beat our bodies up every day Um, and I've been doing it for 20 years I've been teaching for 20 years now so you know Mm -hmm. I've been doing it for a long time and I'm just really good if I get a niggle like last week I had a bit of a I don't know what it was somewhere off my ankle um and I just took a few days off, prevention, did a bit of, did some band work but around if you'd it. done your exercise before that, would that niggle have even happened? Yeah, That's but, all we're getting. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know, because I do a lot of strength. Mm. So I do, like each week I do a core CX workout, which is good fundamental core, and mm. hips and knees and stuff like that, and then I do a couple of pump classes. So I think I do enough to maintain a good foundation. Mm. Um, and then the other thing I do really well is I allow myself to build safely back into intensity. Mm-hmm. So like for running, I've been running what for about two months now. Haven't mm-hmm. done any intensity yet, apart from those uh, four minute k's that you did for but about fifteen k's. That's not intense. That's not like, like intervals or anything like that's that. Right. You know, that's just good solid running. Um, so I do allow myself to build a good foundation as I build back into it. So that would be. I'm not sure if a medical professional has taught me that. My physio once did say to me, prevention is better than cure. Good. So I listened to my physio. Um, okay, Jumbo. This week's discussion. Right. If you're faced with a, this is a sort of around doing bike. Workouts. If you're if you've got a really hard sort of FTP or interval based workout, um, so for example, if you're on your program, you've got to do seven by five minutes FTP, which is a solid, you know, really good solid session. Do you choose to do it on the trainer inside or outside? And let's assume the weather is okay outside to do it. Um, what's your tipping point, and why do you choose one over the other? So, do you prefer doing intervals inside or outside, and why? Okay. Good, good question. Interestingly, it'll be interesting to see if it's about mental weakness. Mm. What do you? Oh, okay, that's next week's discussion. <laughs> <laughs> you just get one step ahead of yourself. I just get excited, John. I just get all excited. <laughs> okay, let's talk about a sponsor. We've got extreme endurance. Right, I've got to say, last week is one of, for me, one of the most taxing weeks of my year. I run this event called the Cedar Sky Challenge, and it does. Uh, oh, we pushes me. Results. Yeah, we'll talk. we'll talk about that later on Uh, but it pushes me to the limit certainly in the sort of final three days of the weekend and race day and by pushing me to the limit no one wants to give you a bit of a joke or push you know just you know the kids are on edge this week aren't they there's not like there's not a lot of sleeping like on race day I think I got up at 2.40 in the morning and I was pretty much on the go until probably about 6.30 at night uh, non-stop and it's a big and it's not just the time you're up it's you're on yeah you yeah. know, no, it's all systems go. Um, and so what I really make sure that I do, you know, whenever I've got those periods of, of life, uh, whether it be a camp or, or a stressful week, like not stressful, I don't hate the word 
I don't hate the word stressful. Because you hate some words, don't you? <laughs> you and your hate You're not words. bloody busy. You're not organised. <laughs> I don't think there's any word I hate. Yeah. But you and your hating so, words. Um, it's not a stressful work. It, it's, uh, there's a lot to get <laughs> on. You're allowed to say it's stressful. What's yeah. wrong with stress? Well, it's not stressful. It's you can say you stress. You know what you stress is? Just a lot on. Yeah. What? What did you say? stress. So you stress is positive stress. It's, 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 it's the, the wind of the mind is good, but it actually grows you. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's a full-on week, and uh, and I'm I'm stress, stressing my body out. Uh, <laughs> and so you? what I do make sure I do is, is look after myself as best I can nutritionally, but also immune boost, because I know that I'm uh, calling on all my reserves. And if, to be honest, on Monday, it felt like I'd done a bloody Ironman. Uh, so I make sure I take my immune boost, and that makes sure that I stay healthy as we go through that. So if you're ever going in, to you know a really heavy block of training or if you just know that you know say it's the end of the quarter or end of the financial year and you're in that industry where you know you're going to be pulling these ridiculous hours and you know maybe your nutrition is going to be a little bit weak during that period start hitting the immune boost or if you're going to an extreme any any sort of extreme where you're going to put yourself your body under pressure get on the immune boost it just makes sure you get all those antioxidants and all the good vitamins and keep yourself healthy so you can come out the other side and get stuck back into whatever you enjoy most whether that be staying healthy with the family whether it be cranking back into your training or whatever so check out the immune boost i get so much good feedback and uh, from it and i know locally from christchurch athletes whenever anybody gets a bit of a tickle it's like the email or the text bing uh, yeah i need some immune boost and uh, and i keep coming back because it does seem to help really really well so check it out xendurance.com or uh, kiwis or aussies you can get it through me or otherwise uh, european athletes have got the .co.uk and the, uh, the european website as well so check it out xendurance.com keep yourself nice and healthy okay so we had the legend that is scott melina come around to the studios and uh have a discussion around the gods of the 80s and mm-hmm. it's a great discussion scott's awesome he's so great because a he, he just has an encyclopedia <coughs> kind of memory of everything that happens like mm-hmm. he's really great um so we're going to put that on right now so here is scott melina talking about the gods of the 80s Okay, guys. A few weeks ago, I can't. We talked to Erin Baker about the women of the '80s, and today we're going to talk about the men of the '80s and do a bit of reminiscing. And we have one of the men of the '80s here. We do, and and I like to try to do my prep as best I can before shows like this. But uh, the reality is, it's pretty hard. There's not much information about the '80s, so we're going to try to rack the brains of uh, Scott Molina about uh, what he can recall from the '80s because it was an era that he was involved in uh so welcome along to the show scott thank you very much my memory is not as <laughs> as good as i would hope it, you know would like it to be and of course you're right when, when was the internet invented but basically came into in kind of everyday life late 90s oh, right at the yeah. very end yeah oh. but no but most people were kind of knew the internet by then yeah okay so so we're talking many years before internet was even a thought did, are you one of the guys who kept a record of everything you did I did for a long time. I had, because um, you had to, like when you're sending in a sponsor proposal or whatever, oh, okay. you know, you had to present some race results. And so I was, I was very good at keeping my results for a long, long time. And then um, I don't know what house we moved to where we just chucked a whole bunch of stuff out. Oh, bugger. And, and, um, and there went all my race results. Wow. What yeah. a pity. Yeah. 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 So when, when did you actually start racing? And maybe just talk us about the, about the scene in, in the very early 80s and, and what you recall from the first sort of few years. 
The very first races in California were in 1980. Uh, no, 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 that's not true. Southern California was 70s, but where I was from, Northern California, was in the 80s. And um, so I did uh, some races in 1980 and 81. I uh, went to Kona in 81. and But basically that's because there were no other races to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there were five triathlons in California in 1980. And uh, so... Um, and so I started in 80 and did a few in 80 and 81 and then um, uh, was quite serious about it in 82. And that's when the USTS series started. So, so tell us a bit about that. Was it, was it, a lot of people have heard of the USTS series. They've heard of you know, Bud Light series. That's what they remember. Um, what was it like? Was it, was it sort of you know, um, all guns blazing from the very beginning or did it take a few years to, to get some momentum? They had a very good start, um, a very ambitious start, and um, a, a belief that they could take these this triathlon to the inner cities of a, of the United States and make it a big deal, and um, and so they did. They started off with just California races, uh, San Diego, Los Angeles, and up in um, close to me uh, where I grew up. Uh, it was actually a little town called Livermore. Well, it's a big town now, but at the time there was nothing there. And so it started with three races the first year and five the second year in 83. And then uh, it grew from there. And it grew quite quickly uh, from there. Um, I'm not sure how many races they had at, the, at the, the height of the series in the 80s. But I'll guess 15 throughout, wow. the, throughout the United States. Mm. Yeah. And when, at the peak, participation numbers, what kind of... There was there was thousands. Uh, the um, the race that we know in Chicago now that's one of the biggest races in the world. That was one of the races. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, Jan Kai was the race director. I think that started about eighty four, maybe, yeah. and that that grew very quickly. I I I I I seem to think it had over a thousand the first year. Mm-hmm. And what distance were they doing? That well, the first couple of years it was two k. 40k 15k and the runs some of those runs were very hard and i think they yeah i'm not sure if they changed it the second or the third year but then they they made it standard one uh 1500 meters because that's what the longest distance was in the olympics 40k time trial and a 10k run and from 83 onwards or 84 uh that was the standard distance Now, we don't want you to be modest um, when you're talking about your, no. yourself in these races, but early on, you know, in, in the early 80s, um, was it you dominating? Was who, who was sort of on the scene, say, if we talk, you know, the first few years, and, and how did the races, you know, typically unfold? Well, the, the very first prize money races were the USTS series, right? It wasn't a lot. I remember I was at the very first one in San Diego, in Del Mar, and... Um, I outsprinted Tinley for a hundred extra bucks. <laughs> uh, Dave Scott won. I got second. Tinley got third. Mark Allen was fourth. Um, Dale Basescu uh, was fifth. Uh, he's one of the names you you, you would talk about um, in, throughout the '80s as being very competitive. Um, but uh, but those four guys for the first few years were certainly you know taking usually the top three spots. Mm. Did, did the order change much? Like, I know you won a lot. Well, Dave, but, how, you say how it went. I mean, if Dave was a very good swimmer, open water swimmer. Mm. You know, he, he, the reason he got into to Hawaii the first 
in the first place, I think in 1980, was because he had done the Waikiki Rough Water Swim in the 70s. He was a very good um, college swimmer too. And so um, if it was a really rough swim, like that very first USTS uh, race, he would he would thrash us in the water. Mm. And and we were good swimmers. Mark Allen was a good swimmer. You know, I was a good swimmer. But in rough water, you know, Dave certainly had the edge. And so we were chasing him. Uh, he had the edge on, on the bike for the first year or two. And then... Um, we sort of caught up and surpassed him in the shorter races anyway. Um, Dave was a little bit older too, wasn't he? Was Dave older? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, I think, four years older than me. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so uh, so he, he definitely had a head start on everybody. and then, um, But then you, you could say by 84, the rest of us had a head start on everybody else. Okay. You know, so the, um, the pro ranks started to swell in about 84. And then... Um, a whole bunch of young guys started to come into the sport about then, um, but even then, uh, you know, the, it was it was the same sort of guys winning the first three four years uh, until about eighty seven, and that's when Pig started to really um, come on strong. I think he started racing pro in about eighty five, and I remember him being uh, at that very first Ironman New Zealand that mm-hmm. I won, and he was a, an hour behind me. I mm. uh, remember the world's toughest triathlon. He was about two hours behind me, you know, and he was just a just a raw raw talent. But then in '87, he started winning a lot of races. There was a guy named Wes Hobson who won the the, the um, Coca Cola uh, Grand Prix. That was their red jersey. That was um, sort of their version of the yellow jersey, right? And um, and guys like Harold Robinson uh, started to come on, and then. Um, Team Foxcatcher was created in the mid '80s, and uh, and um, everybody knows of Ken Glaw. Yeah. But there was Jeff Devlin. There was a guy named Clark Campbell. Um, there was. Um, uh, Just go back to that, that first name you mentioned when you you sort of talked about the big four there. I've never heard that name before again. But uh, before you, you've mentioned it today, so you said there was in the early '80s it was you, Tinley, um, Mark Dave, Allen, Dave. and Dave Scott, and there was one Dale Basescu. Yeah. Well, Dale Dale was a good pro in the mid '80s and um, and a fabulous singer artist. Actually, is <laughs> what he should have done straight away. Uh, used to used to perform uh, at restaurants and stuff for for some extra money on the side. And he ended up passing away, having a, a heart attack at, at swim uh, practice when uh, he was making a comeback. I think just mm. prior to, how old was he? He was older than me. I think he was coming up towards sixty. Mm. And uh, but he was very competitive, big, good-looking guy, very toothy grin, um, and uh, and he was definitely right in the mix, top five, almost every race he did throughout the eighties. Mm. There was another guy named Mark Supernot who was from the East. Um, who um, also passed away, uh, suffered through through depression, um, and then Ken Glaw, of course, was there right from the beginning, eighty three. Just with the big four in short course, who was the dominant? Were you the dominant? Uh, I won more races. Okay, well, it's dominant. Yeah, well, yeah. Def- <laughs> but definitely. Did you do more uh, races compared? Well, to the Tinley, Tinley, Tinley did a lot of racing too. Mm. Him and I definitely did a lot more racing, maybe twice the amount of racing that Mark Allen or Dave Scott did. But when all four were in the game, who was the... Uh, in, in over over the two-hour distance, you know, I would... Me or Mark would, would, would battle it out. Um, Mark doesn't have many number twos in his results <laughs> column. Uh, throughout his whole career, I'm, I'm one of the few people who helped him get those number twos, <laughs> which I'm very proud of. But um, Tinley, I, I, I usually got the, the measure of. Uh, and... Uh, 
but we would often be one-two in, mm. in races. What was your attitude towards Mark at that time as a competitor? Not, you know, just like, you know, like... Oh, he was still, he was the guy to beat if he was on the start line. Okay. For sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, how did you beat him? Um, you know, usually I would, I would break away on the bike. Mm. And same thing with, with Pig. Whenever Pig beat Mark, it was because you were able to drop him on the bike. Yeah. And, um, and that was not easy to do. Mm. And so, uh, you know, that was rare. Um, he, he was a good runner and he also had a good kick. You know, the guy could run like 64, 65 seconds for the last 400 oh, of, a, of a race. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, so you had to, you had, you had to drop Mark at least a mile, two miles <laughs> from the finish or else, or else he's going to beat you. Wow. Yeah. So, so it sounds like things started to change a bit in the late eighties. You started mentioning a few more names, you know, guys like Wes Hobson sort of coming onto the scene. And that's when we saw the first sort of world championships. And this is where it became a bit hazy for me still. I, I know the first world champs were official were in 89. I found footage. I don't know if you've seen it of the 88 world champs. Um, and then was there a world champs in 87? Uh, and yeah. maybe tell us a bit about those three races if, if you did them and, and what you can recall from them right so Rick Wells started to come on the scene I, I haven't even mentioned the Aussies yet mm. um, so they started to make their presence felt Greg Welch Brad Bevan um, Stephen Foster and what's Nick, this late 80s Nick Croft in the in the mid in the mid 80s oh, really? the yeah 80s? they were coming okay. over coming over to the um, USA in, in the mid 80s when when because there was hardly any money in um, Australia probably to part 85 yeah. mm-hmm. and um, and then I'll, I think that's maybe when the Formula One series kicked off to his um, series and so anyway the, the Aussies started to come over and in, in the, there was a guy named Greg Stewart who was just ran like a jackrabbit you know um, <laughs> And uh, so, so throughout the '80s, you know, the fields were starting to grow and get more competitive. There were more. There were other races we haven't talked about um, that started to have good prize money, and um, and so prior to '87, there wasn't any type of official world championship. Hilton Head uh, was the was the championship for the USTS series, and that had good money. I think. Um, Including the Coca-Cola Grand Prix money, like like uh, the the bonus for winning the red jersey the first year I won was twenty five thousand US, mm-hmm. just for the for the prize pool, and then it trickled down from there. Which uh, is a lot of money. It was, oh yeah, 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 in the eighties, cool. yeah, yeah, it was a lot of money, and they had good prize money at the race itself, and then so there was no no official world championship at all, although. Um, Nice sort of build itself as the world championships when they first started. That that race started in '82, um, but there was no official governing body. And then um, there was a race in Perth, Australia, in '87. Ugolin Hoyle was a, a sprinkler system uh, company that sponsored, and they called themselves the World Championship. Yeah. Right. I and love that you remember the sponsor? Well, <laughs> a reticulation company. <laughs> And uh, which we, you know, we we thought it was funny. So, uh, but they put up a whole bunch of prize money, and you know, I think they also helped with travel because mm. it was a long way to go for us, you know, uh, from the United States to get to Perth, and um, and so we we if you looked at the field, uh, Rick Wells ended up winning by a long way. By the way, um, there was Rob Burrell, I think. Uh, Tinley was third Mark Allen was fourth Stephen Foster was up there uh, I, I was ninth I know that um, 
and and I can't remember who was who was it? probably some other Aussies in between uh, me and those guys, but it was a very a good quality field, mm. and um, and Rick Wells dominated, Aaron dominated, and it was good money. I remember I think it was twenty thousand Australian to win, mm. and uh, so it was a it was a big deal, and 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 we we sort of thought of it as a world championship, as our official, you know, or unofficial first world championship, and. Um, and so that was that was a big disappointment. It was in January, mm-hmm. and um and I just got my butt kicked. You know, I wasn't I was nowhere near ready to to race after quite a long time off. Really, well, never. How did Wells dominate it? Like, well, he killed the swim. Did he smashed the swim? But then he smashed the bike too. Okay. And um, and he was I think he was two two and a half minutes off the front after the bike. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was going. And he and he had a great run too. Okay. Yeah, I think he won by two minutes. He or was something. a beast, wasn't he? Oh, huge! Yeah. You know, he was like a big locomotive. You know? <laughs> and uh, but he he went on to have a very good year that year and, and competed uh, throughout throughout um, the world that year. I think he won Nice that year too. Mm. And that was a long distance. Our cons- we considered the long distance world championship. So he won. He won both of them in the same year, and won, and won some other races that year too, and um, and so we definitely know who he was by the end of '87. Um, and then in '88, that race in Kelowna, we also the athletes considered it the World Championship, mm. and Kelowna had some prize money starting I think about '86, '87, and but they had a great field, including a lot of Europeans um, in '88. I remember Glenn Cook being there. Uh, I think Rob Brown was showed up again. Big uh, stack of Aussies, Ken Glaw. Um, I don't know if I went there or not. I think I did. If I did, I got trounced again. Um, <laughs> I think Mark Allen was pig was it, pig pig one. Yeah, and went off the front on the bike. Uh, I remember John Hellman's being in the mix at about age forty. Uh, <laughs> I think Mark got second. He did, yeah. yeah. We actually saw a clip of it recently, yeah, didn't we? Was per- yeah, so I sent through a clip. So, yeah. so go on to you, if you want to watch it, go on to YouTube. There's about a 20 minute, uh, 20 minute clip of the race, and it's uh, and because Aaron wins, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, it was it was good stuff. So so then eighty nine becomes the first official World Championships with ITU being formed. Um, <clears throat> was that a, was that another step up, or was that sort of a continuation of those? First no, it was of definitely years? a big step up. You could you could feel it. Uh, the the national federation um funded the americans mm. to go and um and i, I don't remember the, what our selection policy was um but i remember you had to put your name forward mm. i think it was just it wasn't a select it was it was a it was a um a selection by the federation it wasn't there was no qualification races and were there limits you know, you I, I can't remember that either, but it was it was a pretty big number, maybe mm-hmm. like six or twelve athletes, yeah. six ten, I forget. But um, but you had the USA sent a very good team, although I wasn't I I wasn't racing it because I was chasing the USTS uh, red jersey uh, mm-hmm. that year um, in '89, and it, and so it it did it's not I I don't remember if it conflicted with another race that exact weekend but I decided no I'll just focus on the on the Coke Grand Prix again because of the money at the end of the year and I think I was already already had it probably locked up just about by then I only had to do one or one or two more races and so I didn't end up going to um Avignon for that race which is um which ended up being a really you know I was 
I was pissed off about it afterwards. I thought, oh shit, I missed a, I missed a good opportunity there. You know, after, after I heard about it and it was, it was a very big deal. And, um, it was certainly covered by every triathlon publication and, and a lot of mass media throughout the world. The Europeans were definitely, um, strong by then and, and made their presence felt. And you're still in your peak at this stage, aren't you? Uh, well, yeah, I won Kona in 88 yeah, and then yeah. had a, had a really good season in 89 and, um, so yeah, I, I you would have been competitive. Well, probably, but 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 then based on eighty seven and eighty eight and the world champs, I got smoked. You know, maybe maybe not. Yeah. What yeah. do you know at this time, sort of all the way through the eighties, how things were developing in Europe? Because when we spoke to Erin, you know, she spent a lot of time in Europe, so we kind of got a view on both sides of of the of the world. Um, what what are your recollections about what was going on in Europe? Out, you know, from a short course perspective. Well, the Lecoq series was definitely. Um, the big series, um, and they had they they started putting races on places like Portugal, um, Italy, France mostly, um, and um, I'm not sure when the Bunza League uh, started, but I think that was also late '80s, and um, so the the German Federation had a team um, of, of 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 young and up and comers, which was funny to think who they were now. It was guys like Zach, yeah. Hellriegel. Uh, Rainer Mueller, Lothar Leader, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they weren't actually that good, mm. you know, but they were young. They were very young, like 20, 22, 23. Zach made a, maybe was a little bit better. I remember him being in Avignon in 85, mm. and uh, he was about 20, and he was already pretty good. Mm. And so, um, and so the, as far as the Europeans go, they were not as strong as the Australians or the Americans until maybe 19... 19- 90. Mm. There was a few exceptions. Burrell, Burrell, Burrell was dominating all throughout the 80s over there. He was just killing it. Um, There was a few other guys like Glenn Cook Mm -hmm. was very good. And I remember him coming over to the United States, him and Sarah Coop coming over in the 80s and racing there. But um, but we didn't race that much. We didn't have to uh, to race that much uh, unless there was a a nice big fat appearance fee like in Seder, Sweden. paid people to come in the 80s and um um nice did uh, avignon did but they were all longer races mm. you know for for olympic distance athletes you know there were there wasn't there wasn't a lot of appearance money to be had in the 80s uh to go to europe you were racing a lot in the 80s you know what what were typically were others doing as well you know how many ballpark how many races do you think you were doing a season i was doing 17 to 22 yeah. all throughout the 80s and that included one or two Ironmans yeah. you know problem with with that of course with, without the internet is, is a lot of those events have still they're gone yeah. they disappeared so there's no history of them like um, we had a good race uh, that Dave McGilvery uh, put on he's the Boston, Boston Mar- Mar- Marathon yeah. race director yeah. he had one called the Cape Cod Endurance mm-hmm. and they always had a, a new uh, a car to mm-hmm. win oh, wow. right <laughs> and so uh, Tinley won that one year I won that one year then there was world's toughest triathlon that disappeared. There was a most boring race in the history of the world called the Midwest Classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, an Ironman, basically boring. <laughs> oh my God! Ironman race through the cornfields of Iowa. <laughs> you just saw nothing but the sun beating down on you all day. Um, and so that race, I, I think it happened twice. You know, so there were there were some other Ironman races outside of WTC that you could do and make money. 
And so we would typically do one or two of those a year. Um, and then there was Hawaii, which I think the first prize money started in 86. Mm. And so, um, but prior to 86, I would, I would say from a professional point of view, it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. People wanted to do it and win it. Like Mark, it was, and, and Dave Scott, of course, and Tinley, you know, they really, uh, wanted to do it because it was it was one of the bigger races in the world but you just couldn't make any money off it unless you won it and then you could get some sponsorship from that so after the fact but just to to plan your year around it was nobody did that you know except maybe dave what what were the races within your kind of community that were like if you win this you're the man this year before the world you know to the late 80s when those kind of world cup races or world championships turned up um hilton head the the series final was was a big deal. Um, it was on national television. Uh, Chicago yeah. was a big deal. A big, uh, we had a couple that came and went. Uh, Crystal Light sponsored one in New York, New York Triathlon, which was a big deal. It was that, in the city. That was f- finished right in Central Park. Wow. Yeah, and so we had a couple race. Uh, L.A. had a had a had a, it's well it's 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 happening again now. Um, but it had a had a break there uh, for a while. But that was they had some good money um, in the eighties uh, for the L.A. triathlon. I think that was a yeah, that was just a standalone race. Um, let me think. Uh, yeah, that would they, they would be the main ones in the United States. Would you, like you did so much racing, but did you have target A races? Um. No, I wouldn't say not really, not because uh, the USTS series. I mean, you had to do probably had to win eight of them to win the series, you know. So I I probably planned on doing eight to ten of those a year, yeah. and so you know they were you could I, I from my point of view they were all A races, mm-hmm. but then there was other other races like a like I mentioned like New York and L.A. and races that had good money. Uh, so, you know, if, if there was a big fat check, let's say five grand to win, then, you know, that all of a sudden they became very important races. Mm. How many cars have you won? And have you ever actually, <laughs> have you ever actually kept any of the cars or do you generally just, they just get traded and you get the money? Yeah. I never kept the car. Um, I think I won four. <laughs> nice. Uh, I remember in, um, Frankton, uh, is a good example. Here's a go, uh, the, the, that's, um, outside of Melbourne. And they had a half Ironman race, and I went there, and and they invited me and paid me to come, and uh, I won a car there, and uh, I just sold it back to the dealer, yeah. you know, and um, and I think I, I think I sold them all back to the dealers, uh, or the, except for one on one occasion I had to take the possession of the car and sell it myself, yeah. but no, I I never. Um, went, no, I've never kept any of the cars. <laughs> do, do you mind sharing what you kind of earn in a year back in those days? Um, I don't mind sharing it. I I had some good years where I earned in the like. I remember. I remember by the time I was twenty six, I'd earned a million bucks. Wow! You know, in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. In total, and um, um, and for a twenty six year old guy, you know, in, in the eighties, <laughs> it's almost a problem, isn't it? It was. It was a lot of money, yeah. and um. And, uh, and so, you know, I mean, yeah, I just, it was incredible really to think, you know, that you could earn that much money. I mean, most of it was through sponsor bonuses and, um, 
like if we had, if I had 10 sponsors, let's say, you know, uh, almost all of them would pay first, second and third place bonuses for all the A races, like all the USTS races, Chicago, LA, you know? Um, and so if I won a race, I could send out 10 invoices wow. for first place, you know, and, 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 and there's only a couple companies that I, that I, um, had difficulty collecting money from. And so, and so that was it, you know, that was the, that was the way to make a lot of money is to, is to win races, um, or top three for sure and, and have good sponsorship. And, um, and even then there were some other bonuses, like if you were on the front page of a, a um, a national magazine, or if you were on the, if you were on the evening news, or if you were on, um, the front page of a sports page of a, of a major newspaper like Chicago Sun Times or LA Times mm. or San Francisco Chronicle or whatever, you know, um, you, you, you could also get good bonuses for that. Did any uh, triathletes get on Sports Illustrated? Cut front cover? Um, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, because that would have been a huge coup, wouldn't it? It would have been. Yeah. I, I can't even recall um, ever ever having any, any sponsorship f- like that in a contract that's that um that that was for Sports Illustrated, but I just don't think it was even possible back then. No, I mean, we, we kind of forget how important magazines were. You know, they're a bit of a dying trade. That's now, right. That's they, right. They were huge, weren't they? Yeah, they were. They yeah. were, and um, um, things like outside sports. You know, uh, there was other um, other magazines that were more mainstream back then. That Femme, you know, that have disappeared. Uh, so if we go top 10 or, or top athletes in the short course in the 80s, what, what would you be your ranking? And you can put yourself in there. Uh, yeah, I'd be up there in the top three for sure. Yeah. Um, but Greg Welch was up there. Brad Bevins was up there um, throughout the 80s because the, the Aussie series was good. Um, um, can I give us a definitive five? <laughs> okay. Rob Burrell would definitely be in there. I would say um, myself, Mark Allen, Rob Burrell. Greg Welch, Brad Bevan. There you go. Okay. We, we haven't talked much about Iron Man. Well, well, one more, one more name. There was um, Junior. Uh, Tinley called um, Lance Junior. <laughs> uh, he came onto the scene in about '86, and we had a race, uh, Texas Hill Country Triathlon. And you know, uh, Junior was from uh, Austin, I think, uh, somewhere around there. And uh, and I remember I think one of his first or second triathlons ever. And uh, he asked somebody, oh, um, Rick Crawford uh, was sort of his mentor and coach. Who, who, who's the guys to watch here? Uh, Lance asked uh, Crawford. Crawford poured her Mark Allen said, stay with him and you're going to have a good race. So, so Lance just attached himself to Mark in that race and stayed with him right until about the last two miles of the run. And uh, I think I passed him about then. And, but he ended up being about third or fourth. And it was a long run. I think it was a 10 mile run. And, uh, and I think he was 16 at the time wow. and it was a good field. Uh, a lot of good guys there that he beat. And I was thinking, Oh man, this kid is pretty darn good. <laughs> and so he had some good races in, uh, 87, won some races. And, uh, and then 88, he started to move on to cycling. And by 89, he was a, a full-time cyclist. What so were your you thoughts know, about that at the time? Or, or can you recall just seeing a talent, being lost to triathlon well there was there was a few that um that that came and went um pretty quick he was definitely one of the most talented there was another guy in the late 80s uh, andy carlson 
who actually swam about 15, 13 for 1500 meters. Mm. And he was a little guy mm. and, 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 and he could run like the wind. We had some really good battles in, uh, in, in races in, in the late eighties, ended up being on my team at the, uh, France Iron Tour one year. But, um, but he had a short, he had, uh, injury problems and 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 I had a short career really, so there was there was people there was there was a a couple young Aussies like I remember a guy named Simon Skillicorn had a really bad car accident, he was a real up and coming talent, and uh, he he, uh, he had to wear one of those halos like um, yeah Tim Don like, like t- uh, <laughs> Tim Don like Tim Don yeah yeah, yeah. Skillicorn had to wear one of those for a while it broke his neck. Um, but there were there were some there were some talents um, that seemed to make brief appearances, you know, and for whatever reason, you know, came and went. Talking about long course a bit more because it has mainly been short course we've been discussing. You know, looking through the results, I looked at Kona, and it very much in the eighties seemed to be the Dave Scott show most of the time. You know, you won one, uh, I think Tinley won one, um, but most of the time he seemed to be winning. And Mike then. Won one. Uh, yeah, 89, yeah. yeah right. uh, and then the other big one you've mentioned as well, it was Nice, and Mark Allen basically won that, oh God, it was 10 or 11 times. Uh, but that, was that, that all in the 80s? That, some of that spanned into the 90s. Yeah. Um, was outside of those two, you know, was it pretty much those two dominating whether that, whenever they turned up and then yourself and Tinley doing doing well? And, and maybe just talk a bit about some of the Ironman athletes. Yeah, like I said, I mean, the, the races that disappeared, you don't, you don't hear about those. Um, but Tinley was definitely um, right up there in a- any long-distance race around the world. Um, like there was a brutal race in um, uh, Australia. Triple M sponsored that too. And um, and he won that. Um, Ray Browning was was up there in a lot of the races, Ironman races in the in the eighties. Um, Tinley Browning Glaw. They had a, actually an Ironman series one year. One I year, they yeah, yeah, like three or four races. They, they did like four or five. Yeah, oh, Ironman, really? Ironmans, yeah, because you just accumulated points. There was no limit, I don't yeah. think, um, about how many races you could uh, you could do to accumulate points, and they had prize money at the end. And so Ray, Tinley, Glaw, Jeff Devlin was pretty good too. He, I think he got mm-hmm. third in Kona one year as well. Um, let me think uh, when Paulie Curie started coming around, because uh, he, he ended up winning Ironman Aussie five times. But maybe, mm. that might have started in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see who else. Aussie had some good guys. Uh, uh, Jason Shortis was, was coming on about then. Uh, a guy with the last name of Thomas, I forget his first Bruce name. Bruce Thomas. Bruce That's Thomas. Right, yeah. There you go. Yeah, he was good. Uh, who else? Um, um, Burrell was doing all distances as well. Not so much um, Ironmans, but like Nice, he was he was always right up there. Yves Cordier mm. was was right up there in all the almost all the Nice ones. Probably starting at about I forget eighty six, eighty seven. Mm. He, he's um, Nice's hometown hero. I think he grew up there, or, or they, they lived there most of the time. He always used to have a big lead on Mark Allen, and then Mark Allen just either bike him down or, yeah. or run Eve, him down. Eve's, yeah, Eve's won a lot of races in France in the eighties, actually. Yeah. You know, now I think back uh, 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 back on it. Um, good, good swimmer. Good everything, really. Uh, you know, there just weren't many runners like Mark. Um, for for the for the Ironman um, distance, there was a, there was a couple of guys. Uh, uh, 
Ian Boswell, uh, the, the pro cyclist, his dad, Grant Boswell, was mm. was quite good in the in the mid '80s. Dean Harper, who is now the coach of Cal Berkeley uh, Tri Club, uh, he was a good Ironman athlete in the mid '80s. Um, what well, so for Ironmans in the '80s? You had um, Kona. Kona. I don't know when New Zealand came on online. That was, I did the first one '85. '85. Yeah. And then what did you have? Maybe Germany and Japan. Yeah, and so there were some good Germans like um, Dirk Oshmanait yeah. ended up winning Ironman New Zealand in the eighties, and and uh, uh, I'm not sure when. Let's see, let me think. Wolf, Wolfgang Dietrich was yeah. one of the early pioneers in in, in Germany. Um, People don't remember him. He always used to. You'd see him in the Kona coverage. He was a fast swimmer, and then he'd be off the front, and again a bit like Yves Cordier in uh, in France. Yes. He, was, he was the Kona one. Yeah. And he's now a swim coach in Boulder, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's been there for ages. Yeah. Um, so he was one of the one of the German pioneers, and then um, and for whatever reason, I think the German mentality and their patience for training, you know, they they ended up doing very well in Ironman starting in the late eighties. Mm. You know, they didn't win. They didn't win uh, Kona for a while, but were very competitive around the rest of the world in Ironmans. Just, just, I was just brought up Nice here, and, and Alan did dominate. It's from 82 through to 93. He basically lost a couple of times, but won it all the time. No, but he never. He, he, he didn't, didn't lose. He didn't, he didn't lose. Oh, I didn't turn up. Oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. So when Rick Wells won in 87, he wasn't there. And when Rob Burrell uh, beat me in 88, Mark wasn't there. So um, basically, in the last year, he beat um, Lesson as Lesson was, was coming up. Yeah. yeah, that was a that was they a good were head race. To head on, really, on and that's was the oldest and you was it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Lessing and Spencer didn't come on. They were in the nineties. Yeah. 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 So the, the, the last time they, well, last time he won was ninety three. Yeah, and right. uh, but Rob Burrell also he won eighty eight and won it again in ninety eight. <laughs> you know, and they still had a pretty decent field. You know, mm-hmm. like it was obviously it's under fade at that stage, but interesting stuff. Yeah. So, um, so Iron Man generally just going, it's probably Mark Allen or Dave Scott, in in terms of outside of Kona or Tinley. Tinley was always a factor for sure. The yeah. guy, the guy could run in the Death Valley. You know, mm. he was just amazing in the heat, and so he was always a factor. Um, he he won it twice, and he got second twice. Mm. And uh, what was Dave like? At Ironman or Iron Distance outside of Kona. Good, very yeah. good, very good. I remember he went 801 in Japan one year, and um, I think I was there that year. I was about a half hour behind. Okay. Yeah, no, he was very good, and in every Ironman race, I think he he pulled out of um, that very first New, Ironman New Zealand. But he, he, yeah, if he, he either didn't finish because he was injured or sick, or else he he was first or second. Okay. And whilst I'm just looking at the results here as well, Mark Allen obviously was was dominating in, in Nice and Dave Scott, 83, 84, was pretty bloody close. It was yeah. only two two minutes in 84 and four minutes in 83. You know, that's, iron distance, it's pretty close. Yeah, if he, if, he, if, Dave, if Dave fronted up for a long race, he was always a factor. Yeah. So who would you, so who would, how would you rank your top iron distance males in the 80s? In the 80s, it'd be Dave Tinley... You know, Glaw was right up there uh, consistently. Um, let's see who else. Um, who else was right up there all the time? Would you put yourself up there? Uh, no. no. Uh, How many distances? Well, win? that's not true. I mean, I I I won probably with Tahoe a couple times. 
New Zealand. And Canada had some good races there. Let me think. Uh, endurance, Cape Cod Endurance, I won. So I was I was okay outside of Kona. You know, yeah. if it wasn't too hot, I was pretty good. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Awesome. I love to reminiscing about stuff, especially oh. when none of us, not, not none of us, You've got but such most good memory too. Yes, you don't memory. You're so good. Yeah. So brilliant. In, anything else you want to add? Or is we, we pretty much covered the 80s fairly well. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm happy that the ITU came along because, you know, if you look at the money in the sport now, you know, they're the ones mm. uh, supporting the pros. Mm. Um, what ninety percent of the mm. of the income that comes into the professionals uh, these days comes from ITU, and so uh, I'm glad they came along and and um, and the, the all that groundwork, you know, that was Les McDonald that that built up the ITU to become what it was. You know, there's a lot of years uh, hard graft traveling along uh, all over the country to get national federations formed and get them to, jo to join the ITU. And uh, when we think back on it, you know, we, we had um, some professional organizations um, over the years in the 80s. I remember uh, a guy named Bill Leach was one of our very first, um, uh, what do you say, leaders of our organization. We voted him to be our, our, our leader. And uh, a guy named Larry King, who was Billie Jean King's ex-husband, he, right. he helped, he helped it was his idea. He says, you guys need to form a group here so you have some say in your sport, you know? And, um, and so the pros in the eighties, you know, we were, we were very, very lucky in that, uh, the USTS and other races, uh, decided to have prize money at all. You know, they didn't have to, you know, they could have, they could have been a, an age group sport. Um, and we, the women were also very lucky. And because, uh, Almost every race had equal prize money straight away, mm. which was very rare back in those days for men and women to get paid equal for anything. And, um, and so, you know, I, I consider that that time in the 80s, you know, uh, just an amazingly fortunate time that I happened to, you know, get an early start and get good at it before, you know, a bunch of hot shots came along. Mm. The, the pros these days must, other than the top few, they must be earning a fraction of what you guys were able to earn, relatively speaking, in the 80s, would you think? I mean, it's quite top-heavy these, in these days. It's, it? it's still very top-heavy, but yeah, I think the Jan Ferdinos are doing just fine. Yeah. But, but you guys didn't have the depth either. Yeah. No. You're like, how many pros were there back in the, early, in the 80s? You know? that, that's right. I, I wouldn't have won you know, 15 races a year if, if there was a lot of depth. Yeah. Um, you know, because a lot of races I just went into, I was exhausted. And, 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 I, and I swear I only won because other guys thought, oh, that's Molina, you know, he's going to win. Uh, and um, What's it like having that? Just that presence. Uh, it's nice, you know. Because <laughs> <laughs> especially when you make a surge, you know, you you think, I don't have much to do. I better show something, you know, uh, show, show, show a glimpse of something. And, uh, and sure enough, you know, I, I'm, I, I think it was a psychological blow. Yeah, the persona more cracks. Them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. People, people just cracked because they thought, Oh, there he goes, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, it was definitely an advantage, uh, to, to, you know, be winning a lot of races. Yeah. Fantastic. We love this. We're going to put this together for a, a legend show as well with you and Erin. And we're going to, once we get into the 90s, we're going to, I think, we'll separate into short and long course discussions because they'll become uh, a lot, you know, a lot of different athletes. So thank you very much for your time today, Scott. Yeah. Very welcome. Love it, mate. John Boo, who, who would you pick? 
because I, I don't I can't really judge because I you know I wasn't yeah well, I, I, was I struggled as well time but I've, I've only really got the late 80s but I think uh you know for me it would have been Dave Scott and the Iron Man purely because he was just so dominant in Kona and, and yep. really the the man that <clears throat> was a pioneer in terms of from my, from what I can see taking the sport to the next level and everybody was chasing him so Mark Allen I think surpassed him as being a, a better athlete but he really set the bar and everybody was chasing well, him well in the 80s he was the dominant player mm. and it, well, if, if we're saying Kona is the most important race mm. yep uh, and then uh, sure of course you got to say Molina because he just raced his, raced uh, so so much and yeah I'm just going with him because he came in and he was yeah was one of the big big players I would have loved I just it'd be so cool if we could find some more of that footage so if anybody's got any races or YouTube clips you know of the 80s flick them on through because uh, I would love to see them just just watching the 80 what it was 80, 87 world champs I think I watched 88 it was uh, it was just cool you know watching Mike Pig hanging on beating off Mark Allen and uh, the other Australian was Stephen Foster I think it was so yeah great time of our sport and just such a shame we haven't got it footage of it because other sports you know in New Zealand for us rugby cricket there is that grainy old footage footage but uh, triathlon up until the late 80s is, is nothing and also got to add here because you've got to put Scott Molina in this bracket of, of the, one of the gods of that period and like at the weekend I had my Steve's Guy Challenge Scott comes down helps out for set up for a couple of hours helps with pack down what sports athletes in the world that have been former world champions just come down and help at a local oh, event? Couldn't be a nicer guy. No, seriously, he's just a top guy. Good on him. Yeah, good good man. Um, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. So we'll kind of move on to the 90s next. And we, 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 we've got to get another legend of the 90s on now, don't we? We do. Yeah, we have yep. to think of both female and 90s legends that we can actually get on to go deep into this. Because it's good. You know, we can give our insight, but really it's kind of cool to hear from the people who are really a part of the game. So look out for that. And uh, so wait a second. So we're saying... Iron Man Men is Dave Scott. Mm-hmm. Short course, we're going to say Molina. Yep. In the 80s. And the female was, Erin was the dominant female. Yeah. And both, wasn't she? Did we go overall? And or we- the one other thing that I did want to say, that after I spoke with Erin um, last week and I was just looking at some of this week's stuff, we, we talked a lot about Paul Newby Fraser really being the dominator in Kona, um, but I haven't got those results right in front of me now. Bevan, maybe you get them. Yep. She was that was actually also very good in Nice, and and, and often oh, I think she just gets referred to as you know just that Kona athlete, a bit like Dave Scott. He was always winning Kona, but she had a lot of very good performances in Nice Did as you? well. Okay, wait, I'll so. put them up right now. So here they are. So if we go down to Nice and we look at Paula Newby Fraser, so she won so from late night eighties, but. So she mm-hmm. won, so Erin won Nice in 88 mm-hmm. uh, and 85, and it was a mix before that. It was American athletes, but Paula came along in 1989 and won Nice, and then from where they won it for the next four years. So she was very good, but it was more 90s than 80s in, in that distance. And, and her even her um, iron distance stuff was mainly 90s, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm having challenge, technical challenges over here, Bevan, so I'll just go with whatever you're saying there. Okay, well, wait a second. So if we look at here, I'm in Kona. She got first in 86, 88, 89, and then pretty much just owned the 90s. Mm. So she won three Konas in the 80s. Um, yeah, so we... Yeah, I can't remember what the conclusion was for the females, but good discussion, guys. Um, okay, Jonbo, let's talk... We're not going to do your high five, so let's talk about winger of the week. 
You pull up the wing of the week, and I will. No, I John's will. hopeless. He's, he's he brought his la- he brought, um, left his laptop at his home, so we're given an iPad, and he's all over the place. I am indeed, and so. I can't filter things and find out last week's results. But I will. How say, do I filter it then? Uh, uh, no, you just choo- choose a num- I'm going to choose number. Okay, you choose a number. Sixty-seven. Who, who was 67, who was ranked sixty-seven? Sixty-seven is Mark S. So let's go to his profile, Mark Styles. Ah. That's a good name. Yeah. Mark Styles. He lives in the, in the England, in the United Kingdom. Uh, his distance current this month, he's done nine miles and an hour 56 of moving time. Is that swimming, though? But the, well, the, no, but that's April. Right. Oh, so, yeah, we're yeah. one day into April. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, last month, he must have done nearly 1,000 Ks or 1,000 miles in what he was doing. What else can I find out about him? Um, where is always his trophy cabinet, John? Trophy case? Oh, over on the right-hand side somewhere. somewhere. Uh, he's done a PR on some runs recently. Nice it's work. not giving me much Mark Styles, you are our winger, winger of the week. week. Okay, John, questions and answers. Okay, let's talk about this. So first of all, you've got some information here about some... Well, last races. week we discussed oh, the uh, ITU Long Distance World Champs, and I, they were, I was announced they were going to be in Australia in 2021, and I couldn't... And I knew they were in Spain in 2019, but 2020 they are in Aldmera in Holland, which is a very long-standing race. It's one of the longest, uh, oldest races uh, in the world, not just in Europe, so that's where it's going to be next year, and I assume that they're going to have all the other multi-sport events there as well in terms of the duathlon, the cross triathlon, the uh, Xterra, uh, all those ones as long yep. as well as the long course race, um, because they have been doing that as a theme over the last few years. Then I was trying to find out when I did this uh, where it was going to be, and I found an interesting document, which was basically the um, the bidding outline document. If you if you do want to host the this World Long Distance Championship Festival, uh, you need to come up with two hundred seventy thousand prize yeah, money across this. across all events, one hundred seventy five thousand uh, dollars in in the rights fees alone. So you're looking at four hundred forty five thousand before you even get off the ground, and that's not including. Technical officials, you know, no, and, that's, and, not, that's and, not the race. That's, that's just, just your, that's your starting point. It's open the door. Nothing with traffic management or anything like that. So it's pretty pretty decent. Okay, money. so so for this kind of race, what would be the cost on top of that? Well, then you, it depends how extensive you have to go with your road closure. But you know that could be anywhere between, you know, twenty and a hundred thousand dollars. I'd be guessing depending okay. on on where where you're based and what sort of a if it's a you know downtown city race like Auckland, geez, that would have been astronomical yep. uh, then you've got to have all your you know like your technical officials you don't factor that in you know there we, we hundred technical officials you've got to fly them in look after them uh, just so you're probably endless. looking at about 700,000 aren't you 750,000 US oh, I'd probably be saying it'd be closer to a million okay. uh, at a guess um, and then you know, the, the numbers they put on there in terms of the entries you can expect and I think this is very geographically based you know if, if you were in Europe then you're going to get good entries but they were predicting you'd have 3,000 entries across all events uh, if you held this race in New Zealand or something like that it's going to be probably a quarter of that mm. uh, and then if you you know you work out say average 200 bucks entry across all the races I know the long course race would be more than that but when you think about the aquathon and the duathlon they might be less but if you averaged out you know 200 then you're only going to get $600,000 in, in entry revenue and yeah it's uh 
Big Bickies when you're trying to organise one of those events. Well, the question is, where's the profit? So then you've got to make the rest of it on TV rights? Well, you wouldn't get the TV rights, would you? <clears throat> well, you've always got to sell these. No, you wouldn't. Uh, you've always got to sell these. You, know, you need your local body support, local government, because you know if people are there for a week, you know that's all these that the big selling factor is right. Somebody's going to be coming in for a week. They're going to bring at least one family member with them, and then you do the economic impact, and then you're trying to get the support of, of local Councils, council, and then, and then and then the tourism authority and places like that. That's where you know these events uh, hopefully start to leverage their money back. So yeah, good luck to uh, Elmira and Holland. Yeah, good stuff. Um, okay, see, so we're just talking something about the legacy thing. Yeah, so um, good old Nadine Flowerpower Voice. She was out helping out at the weekend at the Sea to Sky Challenge, and she's also going to Kona. She got through with her legacy slot, and she. The reason she sent this through last week, we had somebody saying that Skip the, Skip Slade. Yeah. Uh, he was saying that he's had to wait an additional year. Was it he was going to get in? Yeah. So he he basically, basically he didn't confirm for like a week or something, and mm. just that slight delay. Cost him a year in waiting. And he was also concerned... He had that, to finish an Ironman. And he was going to be doing a late-season Ironman uh, in Arizona, I think it was. And if he didn't finish that, has he absolutely screwed his chances? Because either he's got to travel to the other side of the bloody world to do a race, or he, he his, his uh, entry becomes invalid. Mm. So Nadine's advice here is once you've done 12 Ironmans, you can register for a legacy slot. Ironman only opens this up for a couple of months each year, basically end of November to the end of January. They do advertise the exact date and time on the legacy program page closer to the time. The date and time stamp, they date and time stamp, all entries and this is the order they allocate the slots once entries closed the time is not too bad for us here in new zealand it worked out to be 6 a.m i set my alarm so i get in mine in early looks like i snoozed for a couple of t- times as my confirmation email was stamped at 6 40. when you register you have to enter all 12 of your races including finish times so could pay to have that prepped beforehand if you want to complete the form a bit quicker from memory i think you selected the race from a drop down menu and then entered your time you get a confirmation email immediately from active and yes you have to pay the 50 dollars registration fee uh, they do like to get their dollars my email to confirm that i did meet eligibility didn't actually come through until february so not sure of their process on confirming these i imagine it's a mammoth task 28th february you get an email confirming what year you'll race in Kona. That works well for us Kiwis, as mine literally came through the day before Ironman New Zealand, so I knew going into the race that I had to finish. Uh, If you're not entered in Ironman, it would also allow you plenty of time to get sorted and enter one that year. So technically, I don't have to race another full Ironman till Kona unless I choose to do so. I'll probably look to do 70.3s early each year to get my validation complete. That way I can't finish for any reason. I'd be able to get another race given how many 70.3s there are in Australia. So you do have to be organised once you're onto this. Um, and a really good point there by Nadine, you know, you, you can't just go, oh, I've done 12 Ironmans, I'm just going to go and register. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to remember, remember all where all those were and, and your time. So you do need to be prepped. So awesome uh, feedback there from good old Flower Power Nadine Voice. Yeah, good stuff. Um, we've just got some links here that I'll put into the show notes based on a bit about what we talked about today. So I'll put some links into the Nice results and Ironman results as well and Zofigen as well just one of the little cool races that's come along is the Triton World Series Triathlon John so what they're doing is now that it's just, it's just started but I kind of saw it they sent through a link to us and I thought I'd give a bit of a plug because it's pretty cool it's a triathlon over three days um, and what you can do is you can choose um, they've got lots of different distances but basically you're going to do a swim one day a bike the next day and then a run the next day but they're going to some pretty exotic locations and this one is kind of in the middle of nowhere really um 
It's uh, in, is that Portugal, is it? Or is it? Yeah, but it's in an island. So right. you, you kind of go to an island. Azores? That's how you say it, maybe. Um, but they have lots of different distances you can choose from. So um, you can choose from kind of from a longer distance right down to the kids' races. Uh, so they have a 4.5k swim, a 150k bike, and then a 30k option. They have a half option, Olympic option, and they have kids', kids options as well. It's really reasonably priced. Mm-hmm. 220 bucks for mm-hmm. or euros mm-hmm. um, for to do the race. So... Something, something kind of cool. So if you are looking for, so basically you've got to fly to this island. It's in the middle of, I think, the Atlantic Ocean. Um, right. And, you know, you do this in this really exotic location. Cool kind of event. So I'll put a link to that on our website. It's a Triton World Series. But this is obviously the start of something. They're trying to create something a little bit bigger. And they want to have races in Australia, America, Brazil, uh, Canada, some flag I don't know, uh, South Africa, and uh, yeah, so it's kind of, yeah, look out for them. Check it out, I'll put a link to it if you are looking for something that's a little bit off the beaten path, mm-hmm. you can check that out, Triton World Series. John, uh, let's talk about it, we've got a new patron. We have John Fredrickson, he is from Christchurch. Oh, is he? Yes, and <coughs> broke his collarbone earlier this year. Can I Facebook uh, stalk him, let's have a look. Uh, I think he's on Facebook, and you could almost, if you had a really good cricket arm, Bevan, Really good throwing arm. Oh, is he the one who lives just down there? No, no. It would, you need to throw your ball about two kilometres. Oh, I could do that. <laughs> so Easy, John. Uh, he lives down by uh, the pool, down by Pioneer Pool, and close to that. And he came on my Kona camp a couple of years ago, and he was one of the recipients of a Kona slot at a 70.3. Oh, nice. So, got a great smile. John, you've got a great smile. <laughs> and so it's one of those situations. Uh, you always play by the rules. And sometimes I say the rules are wrong, but you play by the rules. And so he was one of those guys that, you know, there was 10 slots at the Kona 70.3, just randomly drawn, just into the race, and you're in, and he got in. So we were over in Kona. His name got drawn, and uh, <clears throat> and when you're not expecting anything, you know, you've just <laughs> paid for a big trip to Kona to go on camp, and then you've got to go, can I turn around again in, you know, five months' time, haven't even thought about this, and actually go and do an Ironman over here, and he did, and he got through it, and he did well, so good on him. That's a cool story, isn't it? And uh, so we've got two options for a nickname here. Well, I'll, I'll give you my description, you give me yours, you go first. Okay. I went on to the uh, darts nickname generator. Okay, so you just pulled a random one. But I did it twice, so I didn't like the first one. Okay, what was the first the one? The first one was John the Ferret Fredrickson, mm. I wasn't so fond of that, no. so I plugged it in again and got John the Falcon Fredrickson, which I liked, and the reason I liked it is because John's one of those steady eddy athletes that he's not the fastest swimmer, it's his, that's definitely his weakness. But he is going to just chug along all day, tortoise in the hair sort of thing. And if you falter ever so slightly, he's going to be like a falcon. He's going to swoop in and you're going to be history. Okay. Well, what we'll do, John, is you can choose. Mm. Okay. We don't often do this, but John, you can choose. So John's gone with the falcon and I, the, the double F works very well. Yeah. I'd give you that. And, and there's, a, there's a reason behind, even though you had to go to the darts website. So you think Fred Fredrick Fredrickson? Oh God, I can't even say his name. Fredrickson. Fredrickson. <laughs> Frankie Fredrickson. Frankie. Frankie Fredrickson. So then you think, you, then you think, and he said he always gets called Freddie, and that's not that original. No, it's not. No, and you can see why. But and then you think of famous Freds, and for some reason I've heard of uh, Freddie Mercury. Mm-hmm. So then I thought, kind of magic. John, kind of magic. Fred, Fred, I can't say his last name. What is it? Fredrickson. Fredrickson. Fredrickson, Fredrickson, Fredrickson. So John, you can choose between the Falcon and the King of Magic. Kind you, of magic. Kind of magic. If you choose a kind of magic, You're don't turn up to uh, <laughs> bike training next week. <laughs> no, because John's got a kind of magic. 
the falcon isn't it small you see the cool thing is john's gonna he's been doing a lot of work travel lately and he started he came along to a couple of the wednesday morning sessions on the kickers yep and uh and so i do the sessions while while as a group and they're on the, the wahoo kickers and we do them using perf pro software but i can sit there uh, and i've got the laptop next to where i'm doing the session from can you make it harder for people and i can pump up ftps and, and lower ftps and uh john just just be mindful of what you choose here. <laughs> listen to it. <laughs> so kind of magic. How can I say this? I'm going to get it. Fredrickson. 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 It's because of the E there. Yeah. It's throwing me with the extra E. Fredrickson. Yeah, there you go. Silent E's throwing me. Okay, John. Um, let's do a roundup first and then we'll do your goss. Uh, so sponsors. Extreme Endurance. Your Lactic Buffer. If you want to get the show emailed to you, just go to our website and there's a link on the front page. Uh, John. The camp we announced last week, we've still got advertising for the one we did last year. Oh, nice. So we need to change that on the website. Yes, yeah, no, we that is that. on my to-do list for the next week or so. Okay. Uh, patrons, if you want to become patrons, just go to the website as well. It's all very obvious. Uh, if you want to get some uh, some coaching by Coach John Newsom, go to coachjohnnewsom.com. If you want to get my podcast, go to bevanjamesos.com. I'm currently updating my website, which is good. Uh, age group of the week, call websites, feedback, email them through to us. And John, what is your gossip? Huge thanks to, I know there was quite a few listeners that were out helping and a number of them racing at the Sea to Sky Challenge at the weekend. Such a wicked event. If you want a different event, you're a Kiwi, come and do it. It is only a short distance race, but man, it's wicked. And uh, it was just a great challenging day because the swim was rough as guts again. And people are coming out of the swim. Remember Sai you mentioned the other day? Yeah. Uh, he came out of the swim and I was standing down on the beach when he came out. And he just said to the guy... Uh, uh, next to him, man, I'm glad I got out of that alive. <laughs> oh, really? It wasn't massive, but it was you just know, enough to challenge. It was enough to be a real challenge. It's a hilly bike ride where you go straight up a bloody hill up to about 400 meters elevation. Did you change the run? And then the run, I changed this year. So, but basically, now it's, oh, I'd say well, you 90%. How can you, how can you change the run? Well, because the track was closed from the earthquakes, yeah. uh, and now the oh, track is yeah, reopened. Oh. And so, I'd say 90%, if not probably 95% of the run is all on trails. Beautiful. Oh, if you want to see what I mean, go to the, um, Facebook and look up Sea to Sky Challenge and you'll see the pictures on the run and some of them on the bike. It's what, wicked. What, what were you doing pre- previously with the run? Did they run oh, you had to run a section on the road, which was not that pleasant. I mean, it was fine, yeah. uh, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as nice. So, so wait, so you, they got off the... What, what? No, I'm not going to... People won't know. I need to know, I need to know. You need to know. Yeah, so you, you they go to the end of the course. Yep, and you run a trail, this amazing trail from Godly Head. Uh, for anybody who came on our... Oh, would they run back? Camp, you run back to Taylor's Mistake, you run through Taylor's Mistake, and then you get on the trail and you run over the hill. Uh, who won we had it was awesome having Andrea Hewitt racing uh, you know for, for pros like that to be turning up to a race like this I did offer a little bit of prize money this year which is the first time because it's my responsibility as a race organiser to put some money back into the exactly. sport so we had Andrea Hewitt she finished third overall very very impressive uh, she was not she was very close behind her partner Ollie uh, which was good he's a good athlete and Mike Phillips took out the boys race um, how was his hand uh, he said it was, he had to be pretty cautious on the downhill on the bike so it was good to see him you know he could have easily not done the race and uh, good to see him out there and we had a bunch of two athletes as well that were actually held off the triathletes oh really well they, they their, their first run's only 2k so they're coming in and you know 7 minutes or so and the triathletes were you know probably 11 to 12 minutes plus transition so they had a 5 minute head start oh so wait Andrea did win oh she won the girls race yeah. oh I thought yeah. she's got third no no third okay. overall oh overall Hey team, it's just Bevan here, just letting you know that our device basically ran out of battery at the very last part of the, of the um, show today, so pretty much going to wrap it up right now, 
We had a few stories, but they kind of, you know, it's like at the end. So I'm just going to quickly wrap it up. And here is the end of today's show. I am Russ. I am Ben Don't. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.